You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? There were times at which I, was, I found it very amusing right away, uh, but I was trying to kind of suss out its message, uh, what it was trying to say, because it seems to be saying a lot of different things. And my first inclination was to think that it was a little simplistic. You know, he gives that speech on the phone at the end that it feels like it's sort of summing up the film. And I thought, you know, maybe it's skewering some easy targets. But when I reflected on the film more, I found more nuance than I was aware of uh, the first time through. I remember thinking, for example, that maybe there's one time in the whole film where the main character engages in direct charity when he gives that woman a sandwich, right? Where he, Actual charity, not just raising awareness or other things that happen to help him draw a salary, for example, or make a celebrity of himself. He gives her a sandwich, but she's so demanding and ungrateful. So I'm, I, so I, maybe the film uh, is a little more nuanced and thoughtful than I was originally giving it credit for because it seems to be admitting, while simultaneously making fun of everyone for doing such a bad job at helping each other, sort of admitting that there's no easy answer. Yes, I believe that the film is about distrust in in a way. Because in Europe, you see a lot of gypsy uh, beggars throughout the whole movie. And um, in Europe, it's like a mafia. Because people refuse to help because they know they are like uh, fake beggars, you know? So that made sense, like, as an European, I can relate to that because we stopped giving to charity, that is, directly to people on the streets, because we never know who is who, if they are really beggars or if they are there because they are part of an association and an organization that profits on beggars. What you're describing certainly exists in the United States, uh, but it's much less pronounced, I think. Uh, there's, much, there's much less of it in general. But we definitely have some version of that where a lot of people who are very inclined to want to help someone and feel that sympathy when they walk by someone on the street, they really have no way of knowing if it's legitimate or what the money's going to be spent on or, yes. or whether the, the tale they're telling uh, is just a sob story, so to speak, or whether or not it's true. Definitely a few like confidence tricks, I would say, because um, I don't know if it was just I think that there's a biased perspective because the areas in which, you know, I've been to in Europe are also tourist areas. So there's going to be a sampling bias where that's also the spots where confidence tricks will maybe occur more. Yeah, right. Course. Because they will try to find tourists that are dumb like me that don't speak the language and don't know, <laughs> can't, can't <laughs> suss out that actually that's like a different kind of a thing. Because like the, the phone theft scene early on was interesting to me because he really actually got something out of it. Like, like he, yes. he got some emotional connection out of it initially, right? And it was this like big performance thing where it wasn't just a simple like taking advantage of him, but it also like left him feeling foolish in a way where it's like he he really felt like this was this is something that really stood out to him, and it was like this was like this emotional connection, and like he had like that kind of awkward moment with the the other man that was in, yes. in on it as well. And he was like, they had like eye contact and we're like talking about, isn't this, this is crazy. And then, and then it turned out that that was completely all part of the act. Right. Well, he sort of almost admired, I think, the dedication 
that they put into it, the work involved, how clever it was. And he, you're right, he seemed, that was one of my notes, is that he almost likes that he was robbed. He got a cool story out of it. Uh, he got to feel kind of like a badass in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just got this visceral experience that when you reach a certain level, I think, of power and wealth, you maybe become disconnected from certain primal considerations, right? You sort of, uh, you don't have to fear very many things anymore. So that rush, it's probably like the equivalent of being on a roller coaster for him. You know, he gets to feel alive in a way that doesn't really harm him very much. Uh, Didn't really seem upset at all. Yeah, it's funny you say that because that to me is the main theme of the film because it's one of, I think, three times probably he feels a total empathy with people that are around them it's uh, on that scene on the scene of the, of the performance with the, the monkey men and at the end with the kid because he's completely devoid of empathy even for his kids uh, or for the, the women he sleeps with or with his boys or this like cold guy who is completely detached from the world and that to me is the main theme uh, of the film because is like the, the symbology that I believe the, the, the director want, wanted to say, wanted to critique the contemporary art. To me, this guy, this character, is a symbol to contemporary art and how it's devoid of everything else, how it's completely cold and, uh, and completely detached from the real world nowadays. I mean, that's kind of what happened exactly with phone theft and the wallet theft. It's, as you were mentioning earlier, he didn't actually feel all that ripped off by the theft of the phone and the wallet. Like, he actually felt like he had, like, a transaction. Um, and it's, I mean, that's it was a parallel almost to art in general, where it was completely made up. And so it was, I think, trying to draw the parallel of um, coming in, feeling some sort of emotion, feeling like something really mattered to you. But in the end, the people were just trying to get your money and they were manipulating you. And then it's whether or not you want to basically call that theft or a transaction or... It's a good metaphor, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's made more explicit later when he takes his daughters to one of the exhibits, the Do You Trust or Distrust People um, exhibit, and there's a square in there, and it says, Leave your phone and wallet here. Yes. The film never makes it explicit, but I assume that the idea would be that you leave it there, and the next person to come through brings it through forward to you. I think oh, the idea is to leave the phone there, and at the end of the exhibition, you trust that people won't steal it, and it's still there. The idea of, of the exhibition is confronting you with the answer you gave before. Because if you trust people, why wouldn't you leave the phone there? So, in a sense, the most powerful thing about that exhibit, how many people say they trust people but don't leave their wallet and phone? Obviously, the number who who say it will be much higher than the people who actually walk the walk. Yeah, exactly. But the question I I had with that is, can it be considered art? The film, uh, it, it focuses a lot on that because it certainly has a concept, a very strong concept, and it certainly makes you think. But somehow, there's no, not really a, a, an aesthetic experience. There, there's really not a, an exchange or, or, a, or a transaction of empathy uh, as usually art has. And nowadays, all of the contemporary art is all directed to the concept and, and all directed to the making you think, but not really making you feel anything. And that is, the, and the film, I believe, makes the bridge between the society and the problems that society has today, and the lack of empathy we have for that problems, and the irony and and the hypocrisy of contemporary arts that 
believe that can solve that problems when it clearly can't because it's every year and every exhibition is getting further and further away from from empathy and from real problems to me as an artist because i'm an opera singer and so it made a lot of sense because i question myself a lot of times uh, how can art be an answer when we as an artist are becoming more and more and more far away from from everyone else it's a very insightful way to put it. And again, I, I, I really like that you chose this film because of the perspective you bring to it, being a singer like that. Um, these, are, these are good questions for artists to be asking themselves. And I like very much what you say about trying to fix problems with art. Um, there seems to be this sense that the bigger our problems get, the more these exhibits like this, these high-concept e- exhibits, are trying to solve the world's problems in one swoop. Yeah. When, when I think the film is saying, no, no, the problems we have are large, and they're going to be fixed bit by bit through the hard work of individuals over many, many years, not with a clever idea, not with a viral video. And I think that's why, they, of course, they talked about the Ice Bucket Challenge. I think it's funny to examine why things like the Ice Bucket Challenge are so successful, and you realize it's because they involve us and allow us to be narcissistic, to make the charity about us. It doesn't actually involve you doing anything difficult, risking anything, sacrificing anything. Slacktivism is what they call it, when you hit a like on a Facebook post rather than actually try to make a difference. It's about virtue signaling. It's about making a show of your charity rather than doing the hard work of charity. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and it, it's a good point you make about, about we like to, to show that we care about people. And there's a scene, a very strong scene. I think it's by the time when he's robbed, when there's a woman asking for charity and there's a beggar like two meters away from her. It's really, really close. And the, the film's shows that hypocrisy like really really uh, in a strong way i think sometimes the, the movie become and that is half a uh, flaw and half of strong uh, detail about it that be, sometimes the movie becomes the objectic the, 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 artistic, the artistic object that is trying to to criticize I don't, I don't know if you felt that yes yes no you're right it's 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 a little meta isn't it um because it is trying to make a point with its art uh and while making fun of people who try to make points with their art and also going back to the the hypocrisy thing this is just a thought that kind of occurred to me during the film it doesn't really have to do anything particularly with this film but i was just thinking that movies and i guess this would actually include tv as well i have a high bar for them showing hypocrisy because i also think it's the medium with the easiest time showing hypocrisy because there's so many layers you can put on to it. You can have happy music against a very sad background. You can, you can, you can include in the framing of a scene, like, like you were saying before, you can show somebody asking for charity, ignoring another person that also needs it. I guess it's not even just film has an easy time showing hypocrisy, but as a film has an easy time showing uh, dissonance between layers because it has so many specific types of media concurrently going on it has the where the camera is deciding to point at um you uh, you have the 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 dialogue conflicting with what you see on the screen you have the music conflicting with the dialogue there's just so many opportunities for it to be shown something uh Luis, you said about uh sort of becoming the thing that it's criticizing um to that end i want to talk a little bit about the art in the film i i don't go to museums all the time but i go occasionally my wife is an art history major and we discuss art semi-regularly i found the art in the film very believable um it didn't seem like a parody of art more like a genuine satire not a satire in the modern sense where you just sort of uh, make fun of something and call it satire to make it seem more high-minded when it's really just poking fun. This seems like real satire. The, the art in this film kind of walks that line between reality and comedy. 
It's the highest form of satire in that it, it walks right up to that line of what seems plausible and goes, like, just past it. Kind of like the satirical part is proving that it's earned the right to make fun of these things by showing it understands the topic so well. I think a lot of them are inspired by real pieces. Like, um, obviously, we'll have, a, we'll have a conversation about the, the, the Monkey Man scene because yes. it's... Right, uh, and so that was that was that was inspired by by an actual thing. So we'll talk about that one later. But um, I'm fairly sure that the 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 piles of gravel thing, where then the janitor crew <laughs> is inspired by that story about like you know accidentally like throwing away one of the modern pieces, and like to me that's it's fair. But I think that the thing is I'm I might be the most sympathetic to the kind of high art crowd that everybody kind of loves to hate i don't have the resources to actually really be into high art and that's something that this film does kind of show it's that you have to kind of like buy into a club almost to experience it and then it's supposed to be this thing where you can you can experience this very uncomfortable thing but then from the safe psychical distance where you're not actually truly having the artistic experience but you think that you're having it and that's all that matters but anyway so early in the film there's that interview between i'm terrible with character names but elizabeth moss and the main character christian and then they they there was the scene wanted me to think that the jargon that she was asking when she was saying so i have this quote and i want to explain it and she's she's being really earnest she does it the film is not portraying her as trying to uh, gotcha with this question where she's describing like she basically goes through a ton of really technical jargon very quickly from the website and asks him to talk about it and i have mixed feelings on that because i think that it's fair Um, on the one hand i think it's fair to criticize high art for being in love with its own terminology that's probably fair but i also think that the speed at which the film goes through it kind of does it a disservice and kind of like tries to make it seem really foolish but specifically just with that one i went through that language really slowly couldn't find a really good screenplay for this film the best i could actually find is just translated subtitles um so that was a little bit unfortunate but going through the language slowly the the jargon terminology actually flows pretty well Mm. and it made me a little annoyed with the film for it clearly wanted me to think like oh my god what a bunch of garbage but and the way in which he kind of brings it back the way where it's like okay well if you took a anything that you would not normally consider art and put in a museum would it become art and that is sort of a really really broad way of discussing what that person is talking about with the site non-site aspect and that's a real artist by the way the person that they bring up uh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if it was going to be one yeah, of the fake yeah, artists. This is Duchamp. Well, the, yeah, definitely Duchamp uh, has a lot of the has a lot of the. I mean, obviously, we the fountain and all that kind of yeah. um, all that kind of stuff. The very famous piece of art. But the 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 person that they brought up as the theorist about the site non site, where he would take pieces of nature and put them into museums, and then that was that moment of transference is what changed it from a piece of the world into an artistic piece and i'm sure that the discussion that the people had was would probably have been really superficial but it reminds me it reminds me of people thinking that philosophies terms are really superficial sometimes they totally are and sometimes you can sum up like this really specific thing that a philosopher was trying to get at with this really obvious thing like what is knowledge after all after you use all this garbage terminology for pages and pages you can just sum it up with that and it feels really superficial and stupid and it's easy to make fun of but actually there was a lot of there's a lot of specific thoughts and a lot of really good implications about the removal of an object from its natural location putting it in a museum and then that reframing as an actual important piece of art because there are there's so much writing 
on that exact thing. Anytime someone tries to put something into words that we don't have words for, they end up sounding silly, but it doesn't mean that the attempt is silly. Um, yes. It's like trying. It's like if you've ever read people trying to write uh, reviews of music, like album reviews in magazines and like Rolling Stone or whatever. It's hilarious. It's terrible. They have to come up with all these weird, evocative words to describe something that you really just have to hear for yourself. And it's sort of the same thing with philosophy or arts. You're trying to talk or write about something that is really just about the actual experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that he really knew what he was talking about? I mean, the <laughs> idea I, I I had because uh, when she asked, "What does that mean?" Uh, he looked at, at her really confused and asked to repeat it again. And then the idea I had is that he was trying to uh, come up with something clever, just just not to look stupid. Yes. Because he was trying, he's trying to, to say something and he tried just to say some uh, random words and in the way trying to look clever and uh, look at me because you don't understand me because I am... Uh, superior to you because I'm I'm a curator and and that is the vision vision that I don't like about contemporary art and that what I think biggest critique and that scene uh, it's it's good that that you talk about it sloppy that scene is uh, it made me laugh because he was uh, obviously completely uh, caught off guard with with a question. Yes, yeah, he, you could tell he was sort of making it up a little bit. Uh, while the language might be legitimate if you unpack it, he didn't really know what was on the site or what it meant. And that kind of mirrors what happens later with the video. He's kind of unaware of what's happening. It basically shows that he's not doing his job very well. He's not really aware of the day-to-day operations of being a curator. He's more interested in the trappings and the respectability, I think, that comes with the position. I think that's fair. Like, he was caught off guard. If that critique was aimed at this particular person, I think that it was it was effective. I guess my main thing is at the idea of the discussion at all, because it's true, like, there's there's been so many times where I've gone to discussions or philosophy clubs where they will indulge in the specific language where it's, it's really about the specific terminology, and then they will revert to questions like, well, what is knowing, man? And that like, and that's like a, it's like a cool discussion, right? But it's, 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 if you're going to use that specific terminology, talk about that specific terminology. And the other thing that I think is very fair, and this is something that I will, I will actually kind of attack philosophy and often um, are, I guess, in the same way is, so her reaction to it was she was disappointed because she read, she, she obviously had read this and has actually appeared at least as earnestly excited where she had read all this stuff and was like, wow, this is so complex. It's got to be so cool. This, these, these questions must be so interesting. I can't wait to ask someone what they're talking about. And so she was expecting <laughs> something more, and then she was disappointed. And I think that's very fair. I think that is a, that's one of my favorite criticisms within the entire film of I'm tying together philosophy and art. But of those really big questions, because if you're using terminology to prevent people from being able to talk about it, to make it seem like they can't participate in the discussion, that's when you're wrong. Because actually, in the end, it is it's about the general kind of question of, you know, what makes art. And then she's disappointed because it's like, oh, well, if it's that simple, uh, I guess I guess it is kind of art. If you put my hand back there and she's she's disappointed with the result. But that's a good realization that it was not so far from her understanding in the first place that she should have felt like she didn't get to participate. Then that part is definitely a good criticism. If the love of the love of terminology being used as a cudgel against people that want to participate in discussions, then that's absolute garbage. 
wanting to use terminology as a way to be specific isn't. Forget cudgel, though. How about a moat? Terminology is a moat to keep people out. You don't understand this. I do. This is beyond you. And that's kind of, she saw herself as an outsider to this. Like you said, she saw him as superior. By the end of the film, of course, after they've slept together, he realizes that she's just a man like any other with his own insecurities and flaws and, frankly, a very childish man at that and she doesn't think the same way anymore and she lays into him for it a little bit but at first yeah it's sort of a it's something that he has to hold over her and it's sort of a way to exclude people or keep them out they'll let them in to look at their exhibits of course but you know that's that's about it they're just a means to that end i think that is a that is a much better way to put it in a culture you're right it's a moat and that aspect is dangerous people don't like contemporary art a lot they give it too much credit and they also give it way too little credit where they think that like, oh, it's just this garbage that's silly and self-satisfied. And yeah, and, and sometimes it is or that it's too complex and too technical and just I can't like I don't know why it can't just be simpler and easier to understand where if you just approach it, we're just like just have your honest reaction. If it doesn't give you an honest reaction, move on. And then that's totally fine. There's something you've said on several of these podcasts, Slappy, where we talk about how good the film was at the end. And we try not to do that anymore because it, it really doesn't add anything to give it a one through five rating and you always say the same thing you say i don't know if this movie's good or if i'm just able if it just gave me a lot of ideas a lot of things to think about and i can do that with any movie and as we do more and more of these i tend to think it's the latter i think it's that if you are a curious or thoughtful person and you spend a lot of time thinking about any moderately decent film there's going to be a lot there that you can take from it you can read into patterns that may or may not be there and i think that's kind of how i approach art most of the time too you know these things they do give me profound thoughts sometimes. I'm just not sure whether or not that's to the credit of the art or the person looking at the art. And then you get to the meta question of maybe that's what art is. Maybe art really is just about dealing in themes that allow people to read into them. And then, you know, at that point, my, my head starts to hurt. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny you say that because the day after I, I saw the movie, I was talking with a friend. He's a musician also. And we were discussing the movie and he hated it and I loved it. And at, at a certain point, he said, I don't know if the points you are making about what you think you saw in the film are more interesting than the film itself. Mm -hmm. And that I think it goes exactly uh, with with uh, what we are what you are saying. But in a way, as the, the, the guy who is looking at himself and always uh, trying to isolate himself uh, with the jargon and with all the fancy words, I believe that contemporary art is making that mistake too. And you, you were talking about what uh, the, the profound thoughts you, you had and uh, what did the, the movie made you, think, make you think. But is art about making you think, think something or about making you feel something? Yeah, that's a very important distinction, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that I have kind of a specific answer to that. For me, it's about aligning the two. It's about it's because yes. I feel a lot and I think a lot and anything that comes in between that allows me to think and feel and for those two sides of my being to to talk for just a moment. That is the at least that maybe, maybe that's not art, but that's the most important thing that I use art for. Let's talk a little bit about the one scene we all really, really, really want to talk about. <laughs> the <laughs> the And there's no better way to put it than monkey man, because that's what it is. I, I, I barely know where to begin. So I'll just start by saying I was riveted. I was absolutely riveted by that scene. I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was so curious about what was going to happen next. Yeah, it was one of the few scenes of the whole movie that it actually make, uh, made me feel something. I stopped thinking about what everything meant and all the squares in, in, the, in the walls and all the concepts, and I felt something. So it kind of made me think after, 
Well, is this the only piece of art that we see the whole movie? I had a very visceral reaction to it as well. You're supposed to, clearly. You're supposed to feel. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think, so to me, there's like, there's a couple levels to it. I thought for a while, I've always thought it was kind of funny, the way uh, respectability is sort of a loop. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You think about what it means to be a, a very primal person. You think about base occupations like sex and food, right? Yeah. But when you but you notice those are the things people obsess about when they're fabulously wealthy. They become foodies, they have affairs, they become more hedonistic because they can afford to be. It's almost as if civility is bourgeois, and when you actually have money or power, you drop the pretense and you go back to doing all the primitive things we all really want to do. Yeah. So I kind of see their fascination with this monkey man as a reflection of that. Their desire and respectability loop around, and the highest status people have the basest desires. So they're sort of confronted with... At first, it looks like something very different from them, but then you realize it's not. It's almost like a slap in the face. You know, this is all you really are for all your money and all your fancy clothes. Um, this is what you spend your days doing is basically acting like a sophisticated animal. And I, I'm going to loop in another scene real quick into that because I loved this little moment is when there's the chef earlier yes. that was describing the food. <laughs> and yeah, then they start yeah, rushing yeah. towards it. And he's and he like he demands like you have to know the context of what you're eating, not just that it's like shoveling it in your mouth. And that was just a great little moment. Because to a chef, the food is art. Chefs at the highest level chefs think of what they do as art, too. These people like to make distinctions and like to go to a museum and to pay a lot for 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 a, t- for a ticket and to contribute a lot because they are all donors uh, at, at that scene. They are donors to the museum, but then they disrespect another forms of art. And the chef was I, I love that scene. I, I laughed a lot because the chef was was there to to represent the disrespected forms of art. Yeah, and there's sort of this theme throughout the film that there's a huge difference between the artists and the patrons or the artists and the curators. The chef, obviously, very impatient and understandably so. And uh, Oleg, the monkey man, he's committed to this. You know, I don't know. We don't actually know what his what he decided that performance would be. We only see what he does. But I like to imagine that his decision was, I'm going to come out and I'm going to act like a monkey. And I'm going to act like that no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's socially unacceptable. They're going to have to stop me. You know, if I go too far, I'm not going to stop myself. I'm going to see what their limits are. And when you hear all this talk about pushing boundaries and expanding consciousness, and then you see a square on the floor, you think, really? But this guy, I'm not saying his performance was good because he ended up harming a woman, but that is actually pushing boundaries, what he did. And they don't know what to do when confronted with real boundary-pushing art. But to me, there's two fulcrums in that scene. The first is when he bothers Dominic West's character. He puts the little napkin on his head. He's clearly humiliating him a little bit, like an anim- one animal might to another to express its dominance. At that point, he has to make up his mind, am I actually going to stand up for myself like this is a real thing, or am I going to play along and show that I'm a good-humored person? And he can't handle it, right? And you, ve- I kind of sympathize with him in that moment because his two options are very very difficult. Either he's going to be humiliated or he's going to be the guy who risks taking it too seriously and ruining it for everybody. Where you stop feeling sympathy is at the end when he starts grabbing this woman and she says, help, and nobody responds. And at that point, you're like, okay, I don't care if this is a performance anymore. He must be stopped. Um, But maybe that was the performance. Maybe the performance is, when will you rich people look at the reality you're confronted with and actually do something about it? The the most interesting part is, uh, as you said, it's playing with boundaries. It's trying to see where's the limits and where people will react. And I thought it was fascinating. And as an as an work of art of the entire film, that's probably the, the only one I can respect. Uh, of course, of course, it loses it loses all the all its legitimacy when 
it's arms the the, the woman, mm-hmm. but in a way, kind of does not because it's, it's part of the process. It can't be a total piece of art if it stops before that point because then it's it's not being real. But at the same time, it's hurting people. So what's the most important thing? And for all the artists that believe that uh, uh, art should be funded as if as if it was health or education or really basic needs of human being, because uh, most artists believe that, and I'm among them, I, I, I can say that. So where does it stop? Yeah. So what I thought of is the uh, possibly apocryphal story about, uh, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but Jodo and the Perfect Circle. Someone asks him, why should we commission you to do a painting for the Pope? And he just takes a piece of paper and draws a perfect circle and hands it to him. Uh, It's simple, right? There's nothing terribly complicated. There's no special idea behind it, but it's just mastery. And I kind of think of that when I think of Oleg's performance, because the idea is not particularly complicated or nuanced, but it's just perfect. He really does move like a monkey. The movement is incredible. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's the monkey, yeah. So between that and the, and the dedication to simply act like one, whether it's socially acceptable or not, and to do whatever a monkey might, it's sort of perfect. Uh, and I, I think I understand what you're saying. You're making a distinction here. You, you're obviously not condoning what he does, but you're saying as a work of art, it's, it's uncompromising. It is complete. It is internally consistent and makes a coherent point in a way a lot of the other exhibits don't. So even if nothing else happened, even if it didn't go where it did, I was already sort of impressed because I thought, you know, I don't want to play this down as, oh, he just acts like a monkey. No, no, no. He really clearly studied them a lot. The, the musculature. It seems like he probably even sculpted his body in such a way so that he could move more like one. Mm-hmm. And obviously him using the little, I don't know what to call those kind of, they're not crutches, but they're the, they give him the ability to be to move hunched, the, the little supports. Yes. It was a nice touch. Yeah, I know he's, he, and he's excellent with it because he actually can like jump up on the tables and stuff like that. Like he can actually like move with that. Um, he knows how to move with it. So one, it reminded me a little bit of that scene in the gray where there was the um, where you heard the dominance fight with the wolves, where it was the alpha. It was an alpha challenge, right? Yes. And then a much smaller alpha challenge occurred within the around the fire pit, right? It's already established earlier in the film that um, Dominic West's character is another artist that's well-respected. And he's he appears to be one of the few artists that is there. The, the rest, I think, are wealthy um, patrons, right? Yes. Uh, Oleg seeks out another artist. Mm. And then it's it, there's a alpha challenge, right? Where, yes, good catch. Uh, yes, yes. And, and so it's, it's – you guys are talking about boundary pushing and it's it was – well, in what ways can artists really challenge each other? Well, it's commitment is one of them mm. where it's one artist commit. It's, it's a one artist doing the dominance challenge of I'm willing to take this farther than you and I'm going to prove it. I like what you said earlier where it's I don't know if there's a point to it. You get to kind of decide which artists like if that's what if that's OK, if, that, if the other artist does win by being able to chase the other one away because the other one won't commit as hard. Right. And if that's if that is how you know, if it's if boundary pushing is the correct method to determine how true an artist is. And um, I like that aspect. Uh, I thought about Django and Chained a lot for during this movie. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's uh, uh, and uh, because, well, one, I thought of Django and Chained because there uh, for some reason, whenever I think of things just being like a scene being intuitively cathartic, I think of like basically shooting, you know, slave ho- slave owners. Right. Like in like Tarantino talks about all the time where it's like people, people in Tarantino films, you kill Nazis and slave owners. And like there's nothing there's not necessarily art behind it. It's just you get to just feel like a cathartic thing where you get to see 
an art, a room of, you know, high-minded people get devoured by their own appetite for a true artistic experience. And they actually are made uncomfortable because they've been seeking out this, you know, completely artistic thing. They say they want that, but they really want safe art that makes them yes. feel generous but when they're confronted with what they really asked for they hate it correct exactly then they're like nobody speaks and it's incredibly uncomfortable for everybody exactly and then the other way in which i think about it is those scenes where uh, a lot of times there'll be like a, a really quiet tension and there'll be there'll be a quiet scene where the stakes are really high well there'll be like really tense dialogue but the stakes are incredibly high where this is in a way, there uh, a lot of the just a total reverse where the uh, the stakes are you could consider when it's at least between the alpha um, dominance of the two artists, it's their per, it's their social perception that's at stake because uh, Dominic West could have left really quickly, but then he would have had to have kind of admitted that you know he he might have had to like have like a little existential artist crisis or something I don't know, but um, <laughs> it was it was for really you could consider consider low stakes. Of you, people's social perception of you for at least in in relation to being around a person that might harm you, at least. So instead of a really quiet, tense moment, it's an extremely loud moment over things with low stakes. And that kind of reversal was just fascinating because it, it usually in film you just see the complete opposite where you don't see just people going completely over the top for what would appear to other people to be a completely superficial idea. The thing that kept going through my mind during the whole Monkey Man scene is this would never work anywhere else. This would only work with the richest, snobbiest people. Any middle-class organization, any group of poor people, they'd put a stop to that immediately. they go, hey, what the hell's wrong with you? You can't do that, you know? It would never work except in the fanciest place in the world. And it's very funny to think that someone acting like a monkey would literally only be permitted among the upper crust. It seems totally backwards, but that's, you know, that's... That's the madness made manifest. The only other thought I had was uh, there's a blog that's now defunct called The Last Psychiatrist. It has a bit of a cult following. And one of the entries that I really liked uh, before it closed down was about the TV show Louis uh, with comedian Louis C.K. There's a scene in one of those episodes where he's out on a date with a woman and a young man comes up to him and just sort of bothers him. But he doesn't overtly bother him. He acts like he's being played. He said, hey, how you doing? You on a date, buddy? You on a date? Like he's kind of talking loudly and in his face, clearly trying to embarrass him in front of his date. But he's not literally actually saying anything insulting. He's not hurting him. He's not threatening him. But it's obvious that he's just expressing his dominance in a socially acceptable way. And what the writer of the blog entry says about this is that you should be able to just confront that and say, get out of my face. You know, I know what you're doing. Just because you're being superficially nice, it doesn't matter. But that we've all trained ourselves to sort of think like lawyers, right? Like like they're going to be cross-examined after this and say, well, did he hurt you? Did he threaten you? Did he physically, you know, do anything to you? And you have to go, no, I guess not. And so therefore you can't justify being confrontational. But we really know what's going on in situations like that. You can express dominance in lots of different ways. And if you don't think legalistically, you know, if you don't think like those people would, if you think like just a normal human being and allow your emotions to influence your decisions, you would put a stop to it immediately and that woman would have never been abused. Yeah, because those those people on the room, they look at the performance as an as an work, as a work of art and they respect it as such. So they because they are not used to interact with the work of art. They look at it and they, they like to keep this distance. And I, I say it again, if you have to keep distance, if, if you don't relate with it, can it be called art? So uh, suddenly there was this performance that was demand, demanding them to, to act and demanding, demanding them to feel something and to feel outrage if it's necessary and to 
hit him if it's necessary, because I believe the artist was exactly looking for that, was trying to find the point where people where it would be too much and where people would be just okay, it's enough, and they would stop him by force if it was necessary. But these people are too detached. They are too far away from the real world. And as you said, this wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world. With a middle class uh, at the first threat, people will just fall on the on the monkey man and would and would hit him as they did at the end. What you just said uh, actually mirrors perfectly what you said the film was about. If you imagine the monkey man as the larger problems of society, it's the same thing. He's saying, at what point do you look at these problems, confront them, and say enough is enough? Uh, it's the same basic thing. It's basically saying, at what point do you look at things like systemic poverty? You know, At what point do you do something about it on a personal level? He's confronting them with that same inability because the way that you say that they view art as detached, you know, they, can, they walk by, they look at the painting, they walk on, they are in total control the whole time, it doesn't penetrate their shell. That's exactly how they respond to society's problems. How can and art solve that problem? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I probably can't, uh, but maybe, I guess what the film is saying is, at best, it can just provide that parallel. Hopefully, it, pro- it, it creates an opportunity for self-reflection, but, but I agree, I, I think that's, if, I don't think it can, but if it can, that's the only way it can, is to trigger a change inside, because it ultimately still comes down to each individual. I'm definitely going to come back to that exact sentiment in a bit, because uh, after the Monkey Man scene, I also want to talk about the, the, the square and what we think about that, yes. like the actual, the actual art piece. What Nebo was saying earlier also triggered an idea we're talking about, like, where they are actually distant from the art. If you really simplify things and you and you kind of force it into the spectrum, you have what we see in the movie, which is people being really distant from the art. They are not acting as they normally would in this sort of situation, um, at least at first, because they think it's part of the art and they don't want to ruin the art. And they have to feel like they're they have to have a cyclical distance from the art. They have to be they they don't think that art is to actually be participated in. Art is something that you stand back from and appreciate and don't don't get near and don't actually like get emotional around or or anything. Don't don't inter- don't interact with it. Um, on the other side, I know what to call the other side of it. If you go really appetitive um, where you go with art that is just there to um, satisfy senses where it's not it's not provoking any specific thought, but it's it's all engagement and no thinking. It's art that is just really colorful and vibrant um, like it's or it's like art that's just like a picture of a of food at advertising, I guess is a good way to put it, where there's a pretty marked difference between a normal piece of art that I might see a piece of art that makes me think, but I might look at and remember a advertisement for a burger more, even even in like the animal part of my brain, where it just it triggered an appetite in me. And uh, that's on the far other end of the spectrum where I'm really involved with it to the point where I don't even really yeah. like I'm not even know sure if I like noticed it and it changed and it advertising where it, it actually made me make a decision immediately like it made me like i see the advertisement and i go and buy something and i have an immediate reaction to it because i actually have there's not that side of cyclical distance to it as opposed to a high concept piece of art where i interact with it and nothing really changes in me um but i it's you not really respecting either pole but trying to get somewhere in the middle where it's you still get to interact with it it's still, but it's still not just something that you already wanted. It's not something appetitive. It doesn't destroy. It doesn't remind you of something that you kind of already wanted, and or something that you already enjoy. It's it's tough. I mean, uh, because that like when we're talking about the chef scene earlier, uh, that kind of gives way that like, in the end, they were just kind of following their appetites, not actually trying to think of it. But then when they were because food, for a lot of people isn't art. But then when they're in this art, when they're in the monkey man scene. Their their distance from the actual situation created a created a thing where they were not 
involved at all. What you both said, it's really uh, interesting because as I asked earlier, what's the role of art in the modern world as a way to solve people's problems? Because uh, to me, art is mostly about aesthetics experience and what I take what I take of it uh, in, in terms of, of, of feeling. And I always believed, because there's a lot of questioning uh, what is art and what's the function of art, and I think that art, it has the ability to provoke empathy and to remind people of, of what empathy is and what, as the movie uh, criticizes, what this world needs more nowadays, it's empathy. But when the, the human invention that has the, the strongest ability to, 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 to provoke empathy, that is art, when art is, is not uh, turned in that direction, then it's lost because it's all about the concept. It's all about uh, separating audience from work of art. And it's all about, okay, look at this. I, I will make you think about this concept, but you won't feel a thing. And that's, in my, in my perspective, it completely violates the, 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 the true meaning of art. With music and cinema, it's a little bit different, and cinema because of music, because music is a, is a little bit more uh, immediate. It makes you feel uh, some things that you don't know why are you feeling them, because the, the language is, is programmed that way, uh, in a sense. And the monkey scene and the, the, the scene with the chef, the chef, in a way, show that art is going through a very dangerous and sometimes very wrong way because it's driving itself away from the empathy and uh, and the emotion that probably could save the world if it was if if art dealt about these issues i mean i don't know 100 years ago art was about that and it's not anymore so something changed it's hard to pinpoint where art, modern art has gone wrong. Maybe it's just that it's it's more about the art itself. Maybe it's more about the artist. It's look how clever I am. Look how interesting this is. When it should be about the person who receives it. Yeah. And you say about empathy. That's absolutely right. I think you say save the world with it. Uh, I don't think that's too grandiose. Don't worry. Uh, I think that's exactly right. But it's about <laughs> it's about cultivating a feeling in people that is already there. It has to. I think when art is really powerful, it takes something already in us and says it back to us, yeah. amplifies it, maybe, says it in ways we wouldn't have thought to say it, or just reminds us it's there. It can't put that feeling there. And I like very much what you said about feeling certain things while watching movies and not being sure why. I think that's true with music, too. There's a famous composer, Bill Conti. He won an Academy Award for his score for The, the Right Stuff. I also did the Rocky theme a little more famously. Uh, my wife and I went to see him in concert here in Pittsburgh a number of years ago. And, of course, he performs all his famous scores. And, and he gave little talks in between some of them. You know, he mostly played music, but he talked a little bit and had stories and anecdotes. And he was very charming. And near the end, before he plays the Rocky theme, he, he really just said that the thing he likes about music is that it makes you cry and you don't know why. And he says, I, you know, I'll play some music for you and you'll cry. All art has that uh, potential. And the fact that we don't know why uh, is part of the profundity, really. I think that uh, this actually segues perfectly into the, squ the, the square, so that, that piece of art, which is designed as an empathy tool, right? I kind of want to gather your guys' reactions to it first before kind of like dive into it, but I'm not sure if you saw the actual piece of art, so the literal square, so the, the square that was, what, four meters by four meters, pulled up out of a public spot 
and then moved into the museum. I don't know if you guys had any reactions to that at all. First of all, uh, just as you say that, oh my god, the metaphor of taking it out of the public spot and putting it in a museum yeah. so that you have to pay to go in to see it. Does that encapsulate what we've been talking about or what? Yes, exactly. I think a version of that exhibit could be what we're describing. It could provoke empathy, but it's used so uh, cynically. It's promoted in such a cynical way. The people who are promoting it don't even seem to understand its potential. And they sort of ruin it, I think, uh, by the way they, they don't really connect with it themselves. I definitely agree with that, where uh, I think that the the use of it in the museum and the people not really connecting with it, although there is a there is a little bit of a scene where um, where it's it's not being used. It's in the advertisement kind of obviously uh, goes in a completely different direction because it's surprising for it to just be the exact opposite of what the exhibit is supposed to be, which is obviously stupid. And then but then there's this there's that moment where he's in the press conference uh, where he's resigning, where people become interested in the artist because uh he they mention it and they always ask like how do you spell the artist's name it's supposed to be questioning about whether or not something good happened in like a in an ends justifying all the stuff that came before it kind of way and maybe it's because i am often really easily convinced by arguments uh that uh, that that make me feel anything and so i loved the concept of the square um a lot actually the the rules inside of the square should not be special. Um, I guess is, is is the thing that I liked about it is um, it's uh, everybody has equal rights and obligations. What they're describing should occur in the square is something that should already be in civilized in or not civilized society, but in the in the highest societies that we we love. And um, this took place in Sweden, correct? Especially that kind of society, like a really modern liberal society. The values of the square should exist everywhere. The piece of art wasn't doing something where it's like the rules are different now, which is different than the monkey man scene in a way where it's like the rules are kind of different now. And then we're going to see how you kind of react because they're going to this person is going to come in and break all those rules. Instead, it's the reverse of that where it's you're going to have to actually live up to the rules that you you would profess to believing in all the time. And so I like it because it's questioning society and it's asking. Um, so you say society that these are this is the way society works. Everybody has everybody's equal. We help each other out. We have obligations. Okay, I'm I'm skeptical. So here's what I'll do. I'm gonna make like a 16 square meter square, and I'm gonna make it true. We're gonna say it's true for this square. We're gonna see if if it's true everywhere. This should be no problem. Let's make it true for this tiny piece and see what happens. Because to me, what would happen is if that was true everywhere, you'd be putting frame around um, around a piece of the world, and it would look no different than the rest, and the frame would be meaningless. But what it's what what I would imagine would occur is the difference of what would that world be like in that square and this framing would be in such contrast to everything else that exists outside of it that you would be forced into questioning like, okay, uh, (laughs) clearly the world is not like this. We've put the world's ideals into this frame and it, it stands out against the backdrop of every other thing that exists in the society that professes to the exact same values. So uh, when you start talking about this, I started to think about what I was going to say in response, and that's exactly what I was going to say in response. I think you nailed it. I think that's exactly what it means. I completely agree with both of you, but the movie also makes a joke with that, because if you notice, in every scene when, uh, where the, the main character has a conflict, there's a square on the, on the, on the wall. My, uh, my brilliant wife, who I mentioned earlier, uh, is an art history major. <laughs> uh, she noticed uh, that, certainly, and noticed that some of the paintings are by uh, a man named Joseph Albers, who uh, 
dealt, uh, oh, I think, almost exclusively with squares. T- just square after square after square, series of squares on tops of other squares, subtle gradations of colors. In fact, he wrote about a series of his own artwork. I'm, I'm quoting him here. Uh, they are all different palettes, and therefore, so to speak, of different climates. Choice of the colors used, as well as their order, is aimed at an interaction, influencing and changing each other forth and back. Thus, character and feeling alter from painting to painting without any additional handwriting or so-called texture. Though the underlying symmetrical and quasi-concentric order of squares remains the same in all paintings, in proportion and placement, these same squares group or single themselves, connect and separate in many ways. So that actually is very close to what you're saying there, uh, Slappy. Yes. Hats off to my wife for noticing uh, the Albers connection. I think, for example, the painting behind him in the hallway while he's waiting uh, for his uh, daughters to come in, uh, I believe that's an Albers painting, for example. You say it was throughout, though. Every time he's dealing with conflict, there's one in the background? Yeah, I, I, I think I noticed a square every time. Uh, in the squares, in, in the stairs, when they are going up, and every, every uh, in a way, there was always a square there. And it was this... Because uh, Slappy was uh, was saying about that the square should mean what's going on with the world. And the, the world makes like a bit of a joke with it. Because, yeah, that is, is true. But you see, there is conflict. And, but you see, and you see the square. So it doesn't apply anymore. Because you are, in a way, you are inside of the square. Or you should be inside of, of the square. And he shows you the square to, 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 to show you. Uh, the way you should behave and you're clearly not behaving that way. So I, I found that like irony really uh, captivating. I'm going to make a quick video game reference that I know Slappy will appreciate. There's a uh, game by Jonathan Blow called The Witness, and you solve a series of uh, kind of line puzzles, and I don't need to describe exactly how it works, uh, but the the relevant thing is that you do these puzzles so much that you start to look at the world that way. You start to look around the world for the same kind of shape. It changes the way you think a little bit. So what you're saying about squares being in the background of all these scenes, that might be sort of the brilliance of the, of the square, which is that by showing you the square and saying you should behave this way inside of it, when you see squares in everyday life, which you're going to, it's such a basic shape, you're going to see squares everywhere, Yes, it's sort of saying those are all opportunities to continue behaving this way apart from the exhibit, but you don't take those squares seriously, just this one. That's, that's, you know, cut this out, because all I'm saying is that's an amazing point. I like that a lot. <laughs> but did you, that happen to you with the witness slappy, where you play it for a while and then you find yourself seeing the shapes everywhere? Oh, yeah. No. And like you see it because like you're like, you know, as soon as you said video game, I knew what video game you're going to mention <laughs> uh, because it's 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 too much where it's like the lines and like the obviously the landscape lines and whatnot, uh, where it gets yes. you to do those. And the first time you realize that and then you start seeing it everywhere and then you start looking for them in real life. And then there's like I know there's like on like back when it first came out, there's all those Twitter posts where people were finding those kind of shapes out in, out in the real world. So a game we've all would have played, though, Tetris uh, is a great example. Yes. If you've ever played Tetris, first time you play it. When you stop playing it, you're looking at walls and imagining yes. how books would go. Yeah, right. You've probably experienced that too, Luis. It's the first thing that anybody thinks of when they have to pack like a van or something or like a, <laughs> or like a U-Haul <laughs> yes. is they remember Tetris. Another thing about the video and about that promotional video. Did you notice that it was a bit uh, uh, a huge scandal and, and the, 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 main, the main character, uh, he, he was resigning because of it and everyone was, was deeply offended. But then they asked... Was this your decision? And he says, yes. So why do you take it back? Yes. So you're saying it's kind of like the uncompromising art thing. If you, yeah. why, why aren't you standing by this if you chose it? Yeah. Okay. It's 
it maybe causes uh, people to, to, to be offended. Okay, but why don't you stand behind it? And art should be about that too. If you uh, make a choice, obviously we, we know that he didn't make a choice because he even didn't look at it. But the press doesn't know that. And he, he, he tells the press that he saw it and it was his decision and he takes all the blame and then he goes away. So it's a good question when the, the journalist asks him, so why are if it was your decision and if you thought it was correct, then why are you resigning now? Yeah, it's such a simple question and it catches him totally off guard, just like the question in the beginning catches him off guard. Yeah. It shows how little he's thought about these things, really. The only area I could think of where people are doing that, where people are pressing boundaries today and not always apologizing for it when people get offended, is stand-up comedy. Yes, yes. It's, to me, it's the only entirely free place uh, in the world right now. I always believe that. I also want to reference back earlier when we were talking about like the squares thing. Also, uh, the shot when they're going up the staircase and it's rotating around and it's yeah. making the square. Yeah. That's just a gorgeous shot. Like, There's nothing really yes. to say about it. It just looks amazing. Yeah, at the end, it's amazing. And and and, and I don't know if you're not, the, the soundtrack is by uh, Bobby McFerrin. Oh, <laughs> Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry, be happy, that guy? Yeah, yeah, he's the same guy. The, he has a, a, a album called Circle Songs, I think, and the, the, the which is <laughs> funny because it's Circle Songs. Yeah. And again, maybe the film is saying that the only way art can save itself is by following the example from music and cinema. Because they are the two, probably the two only uh, art forms that are still true to its principles, to, to the art principles. And it's really ironic that, that Boy McFerrin is there. All those songs, the circle songs, are in a way there to show that music is another thing and is not making the same mistakes. I believe music is safe in a way because it doesn't fall as often on the same mistakes. And Bobby McFerrin was really a, 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 such a clever choice by the director to choose the circle songs on the f film called The Square. That's a great catch, uh, and very well put, by the way, on about music. I've I felt for a very long time now that music is actually the purest art form, uh, the purest yeah. act of creation that there is, in a way. There's a, I forget who said it, art constantly aspires to the condition of music, where it's like this, it's an unconscious, you cannot... It, it does, it's delivered without language, unless you like accept the lyrical parts, but it's delivered without language, but people still understand it. And art is kind of striving for that feeling where it just pure delivered feeling that people don't understand, which is exactly like we were talking about before, where it makes you cry without knowing why. Music is both the most powerful art form and the hardest to analyze. And those two things are probably related. Yeah. Yeah. And cinema, because it uses music and it uses soundtrack, has also that power. So maybe, I don't know, we are all in a way uh, uh, movie goers and movie uh, reviewers. And we can all maybe on a very limited or or broader uh, uh, sense we can all contribute to that but I, I truly believe that music and cinema because it uses music are the the, the only art forms that that can uh, save the art from, from itself Wild them in the end, you got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but wild them in the end, and you've got a hit. <laughs>